Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. Welcome to Beneath the Surface. Glad you could join us in our uh, fourth installation of the Creed, Beneath the Surface. Paul Morano here with my very special guest today, Father Tony Blunt. Father Blunt, welcome. Thank you, Paul. You and I were roommates a long, long time ago. We were back in the... <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> That was uh, that was quite a quite a trip. Uh, we were we lived together for about two or three years back in Tampa, Florida, where I used to live, and where you 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 and uh, your your brother, Father Jim, uh, where it was brought up. You were brought up in Tampa, right? That's right. Yeah, went to uh, University of South Florida there for a little bit. But uh, welcome to Beneath the Surface. Glad we could finally get you on Beneath the Surface. It's uh, it's really uh, an honor to have you. Now. Uh, you are a salt priest, not that you assault anybody, but you are an SOLT priest, Society of Our Lady of the Blessed of the Most Holy Trinity, uh, a religious order. You want to say a, a little bit about that? Well, it's a wonderful, uh, beautiful community founded by Father Jim Flanagan in 1958, uh, consisting of all three vocations, right, of ministers, priests, of religious, especially con uh, consecrated men and women, and, and families. It's really a beautiful community that, that works to spread, you know, it's really, it's a beautiful communion of all these brothers and sisters together, mm. working under Our Lady's protection for the kingdom of God. Excellent, excellent. Now you are stationed, Father Blunt, at Most Holy Redeemer Parish in Detroit, Michigan now, yes? Yes, right here in the heart of Detroit, yeah. basically. It was called Southwest. Detroit. Mm. It's also called Mexican Town for many decades now. Wonderful place to live. And you are fluent in Spanish. Yes, you would have to be fluent in Spanish. <laughs> yes, be because you you have uh, been also stationed in Central America, right? Seven and a half years. I lived. I worked in Guatemala and Belize. My first mm. assignment, lovely assignment, where I used to have take care of thirty villages uh, using a horse and a canoe at times to get to wow. them. Wow. How fun. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, we are uh, continuing our series on the creed beneath the surface. And this is in, this is installment, our episode number four. Our first episode was uh, simply the first two words of the creed, which is I believe. And in that episode, we spoke about uh, faith and belief and the distinction between faith, reason, and science and how they all are different ways to get to the one truth with a capital T, who ultimately is God. The next, uh, the next episode, we talked about uh, in one God, 
And so uh, in that episode, we talked about monotheism and how it's different from polytheism and pantheism and the distinctions between you know Christian understanding of the one God versus Jewish and Muslim and a whole bunch of other good things like that. And then in the third episode, we talked about uh, the Father Almighty, which is the next line in the creed, uh, the first person of God and uh, how he is maker of heaven and earth. So we talked about the first person of God and how he's creator and you know uh, what he created and why he created it, which brings us to the fourth installment of the creed beneath the surface with my wonderful guest here, Father Tony Blunt. And we're gonna be focusing on the line of the creed or the phrase of the creed that simply says, of all things visible and invisible. This is what the Father created. All things, first of all, that are both visible, that we can experience through our five senses, and invisible, which we don't have access to with our limited five senses. And so, Father Tony, let me begin. We're gonna spend a lion's share of the show on the invisible uh, world that God created, but my first two questions relate to the visible worlds that God created. And I'm gonna ask you a question that I, to start things off that I actually asked my, my guest last show, see if you have a different take on it because it's a speculative question. Since God is Trinity and he is completely happy and fulfilled in himself for all eternity, why did he create anything? That's a very good question, Paul. It's a deep question. It's an important question because it explains us rather well. So in other words, uh, there's the old Latin expression, bonum diffusivum esse that what is good diffuses itself. Um, this is, you see this even in, in human realities, like someone who's truly loving and filled with mm. goodness, they tend to extend themselves, like your grandmother loving to make food for you, no matter whether you're hungry or not, she has mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. Bonum diffusivum esse, the good diffuses itself. God had no need of us, and this is very important because it means, uh, that his love for us is simply gratuitous. There's no need. God has no need. So why does he create? Okay, yeah. then now, what is the motive? The only motive for creation then would have to be this, that God in his overflowing goodness, this is the way overflowing goodness is, desires that as many, many others, countless others, will share in this infinite happiness. So God's reason for creating us can only be love. There is no other reason. So goodness by its very nature overflows from the, from the being that is good to other things by its very nature. Yes. Okay. And, and so it, would, it, would, it, it is fitting that God, even though he's fully complete and, and fulfilled in himself as Trinity, uh, would create a universe. It's, it's very fitting for, for him being all good. Oh, yes. It's like it's fitting for an artist to make a painting. And out of his, you know, what, what he possesses within himself, he longs to bestow this yeah. beauty on the world. Okay. And uh, God is like that also. He, he, he wants to share his beauty and love with as many as possible. I have a question that I've had since maybe I was a teenager. And I have a theory about it, but I want your take on this. Um, we have a vast universe here. And with modern science, we've been able to at least understand more and more and more of it, even though we're just at the surface. 
we humans only know of through our you know the limited understanding that we have we only know of a little bit of it and we can only live here on earth why all the rest of it what's the ah, purpose because without end since we uh, his we can't know it yeah since we can't know it and all we know is this at least at this time in our history of humanity okay that is that you see love doesn't count the cost uh it doesn't calculate and calculation is not part of love. Love would be the absence of calculation. For instance, here's an example. When I was born, I was the seventh child of my mother. Mm. Eight, eight children, I was the seventh. Okay. And my parents at the time were very poor. But my dad uh, bought my mother seven dozen roses. Uh, in honor of my birth, not seven roses. Now, if you think it, seven roses would have made the point. <laughs> yeah, I think so. One and, rose uh, could have. Yeah, it uh, made the point. Seven, seven yeah. roses. Why seven dozen? Now, granted, it was a beautiful baby. That's obvious. <laughs> what happened to him as an adult? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. seven dozen is because love doesn't count the cost. And it's just, you know, this is the way God is. He's not, a, he's not calculating. And this is a, a good lesson for us. His love is super abundant. Like you might say, the wedding feast at Cana. My goodness. You know, one of those uh, containers in, the, uh, in John chapter 2 and in in that, those verses there contained 15 to 20 gallons. Look at the amount of wine we're talking about for people who've already been there and had drunk quite enough already. Yeah. But... Um... The, the seven dozen roses in your example were for your mother, even though they were perhaps superfluous or, or they weren't necessary. They were all for too much. Yeah. It was a, right. too much, but, but it was for your mother. So is, are you saying that this entire universe is for us? Well, I would say that um, in a certain sense, you could say that in other words, in, in his God and his creation, look, every snowflake they say is, uh, you know, you've heard this before, that every snowflake is unique. Yes. How could that be? I, I always think if I were God, I would make one snowflake. <laughs> Just and one snowflake. That would be right. sufficient. But, yeah. but this is the way the Lord is. Yes, he would do that for us out of tremendous kindness. Well, you're which, saying, you're asking the question, perhaps, I understand the question, could be, is there anyone else out there? Well, well, before we even get to that, if it's just for us, how do we have access to it? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Well, we'll, 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 yeah. Now, there's the question. Do we need to have access to it? Well, we're exploring it. It's a, it's a beautiful playground, you could say. We're exploring it. It brings us endless delight and joy. It's yeah. a reminder, one might say, too, of this vastness of our God. It's funny you say that because you're you're sort of touching on a, a theory that I've had for a long time, and that is that did that God did make the universe as our playground, and I think that Eden that He gave the first two humans, that paradise, when we were we were ordered to cultivate the earth. I think once we cultivated the earth, we would have cultivated the whole universe with His help, and I think it would have been our playground, the entire universe. Um, but sin got in the way. And we remained here uh, on this earth, which isn't uh, a perfect place anymore, obviously. But my, but I think once the resurrection occurs and you know the glorification of the bodies and the transformation of the universe happens, I think then sin, of course, is out of the way. That we will again have the entire universe as our as our playground. What do you think? Well, okay, I would just look at it 
uh, we can consider that. I, I would look at it in this way, that those, those two things I said that, okay, the superabundance of God's charity, his kindness, it doesn't have to be exhausted. In other words, that the whole point is that it's inexhaustible. Even on a natural level, it's just in, ridiculous. I mean, it's so huge what he has done for us. Mm. And it, this is good for us to see, you know, it's good for us to see that, that, you know, this vastness of the universe, I think, is important for us to grasp. So God's okay. majesty, you might say, it points to God's majesty, and we need that reminder constantly. Yes, yes. All right. Of all that is visible and invisible, I think a lot of people recite the creed every Sunday, and they say that, but they don't really think about the fact that there's an invisible part of creation, and it's a very important invisible portion of the creation. Let's talk about the world of angels. What is an angel? Well, an angel um, in the hierarchy of being, we have an hierarchy of being. So the angels are pure spirits who don't have bodies. And uh, someone once said, somebody once said that the theme song of the angels would be, I ain't got no body. Because, I ain't uh, got nobody. <laughs> nobody cares for me. So they, they, there's pure spirits without a physical function, um, higher, higher than us in the realm of being. Just Some, as you, yeah. Somewhere between us and God in, in their hierarchy of being. Uh, they're, they're pure spirit, and yet they're persons. They're not human persons, but they're right. angelic persons. That's important to realize that um, person, you know, there are three kinds of persons. Yeah human persons, angelic persons, and divine persons. Right. It's good for us to know that, that there's more than one kind of personal subject. And if that... Get the question. Okay. I said that um, if we are made in the image of God, and we're, because we're persons, we're made in the image of God, would you say that angels also are made in the image of God? Yes. I think you can say that in a, in a certain sense. Yes, you can say that. Yes, because they have, you know, the image of God in part... Uh, granted, the image of God, can, it means more than, it means, uh, we look at it in different ways. Certainly part of what it means is we are made, we can know and love God as he knows and loves himself. And so certainly being in the image of God is that. You could add more though, you know, as St. Tom, as uh, St. John Paul II does in his Theology of the Body. Yeah. And that's very, very fascinating things about. Well, that, that, that actually brings up another question that I have, because in one sense, you're saying that we humans image God in as much as we have intellect and will. We can know and love like he does. But there's another sense that we image of God, we image God and we image the Trinitarian um, essence of God in as much as we are family. We have father, mother, child. We have lover, beloved, and love, which of course image the, tr the Trinitarian uh, aspect of God who is lover, beloved, and love as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's another way that we image of God, we image God as family. My question to you is how would angels image God in that respect, the Trinitarian aspect of God? The, the way they could do that is the angels, as one theologian said, are the most neglected members of the communion of saints. <laughs> neglected by us. Yes. Okay, yes. So if they live in communion, uh, with God and each other, so certainly there's they're already, um, you know, there's a certain sense that they're reflecting the God, and they, and, and they must do so. The God who lives in perfect, who is communion, yeah. communion of persons. So in some sense, they would also do that. However, one thing they cannot do 
And of yeah. course, as you know, the saints would say the angels envy us, which is really a remarkable thing. And here we mean holy envy, because uh, you can also about envy in another sense, which right. also should be addressed. But they envy us because of, uh, of God becoming one of us and not one of them, lovingly becoming one of us. Imagine. And so this makes the image of God in a different, whole different reality here. What happens when God takes our image? Right. Then what happens? Uh, that means that human nature is raised up to a level that's unimaginable. Human nature now sits at the right hand of God in Jesus. So right. Is- Yet angelic nature does not. Right. Which brings me to my next question. If, if angels are made in the image of God in as much as they're persons, why didn't God also become an angel? That is left into the mystery of God himself. I don't think we know the answer to that question, but he does choose the least and he exalts them. He, he, the Lord tends you know, is, you could say that his conduct is spoken about in the Magnificat of Our Lady, that he raises the lowly. He loves to do this. Mm. And here, here we are on a lower, uh, certainly on a, remote, a lower nature than, we're the, as far as persons, we're the lowest kind of persons. Right. And yet we're raised to the highest level. That would seem to be fitting with the way God does. Yeah. And of course, uh, another reason God um, became man is to, is to save us from, from our sins because we sinned and rebelled against God. But so did the angels, at least some of them. Some of the right. angels became demons. So at least you have to throw out the question, why didn't God become an angel at the moment that they were created when they had that yes or no decision? That God, why didn't God become an angel to stop them from rejecting him well you that's a good question they had them it was called the. this refers to what's called as the mysterium iniquitatis that uh, saint paul refers to right the mystery of iniquity which we cannot fathom completely uh in this life maybe ever it's it's, it's quite a mystery but Hmm. uh so yeah one thing you might want to note is that god became man not before but after we had sinned right because it was a possibility of redemption, uh, loving redemption. With the angels, as you know, uh, once the, the sin of the, of the angels, because of their nature, was a sin from which there is no possibility of repentance. Correct. Because of their perfect knowledge, their, their, right. their knowledge. Right, so they, they did not, they had perfect knowledge and will, they were in union with God, and yet they sinned anyway. And since they don't have a physical nature, uh, they don't grow and they can't repent and hence they made an eternal decision when they made that decision oh yes right? because exactly because the, the devil being he knew all the consequences lucifer knew yeah. all the consequences at the nth degree and forever you could say of his decision and still made it and still made whereas it. we are so ignorant this is why our lord can say to his father on the cross forgive them they don't know what they do right and right. that is a and a very very important reality we, we we really don't know what we're do we do we're quite dumb actually <laughs> yeah uh, especially after we left eden uh, the intellect got a lot darker than it originally supposedly was uh, offered by god's grace um so why don't you talk about a little bit of a if do you know anything about aquinas's understanding of angels how uh, each angel is is its own species yeah uh the ancient philosophical dictum is matter is the uh matter has to do with differentiation so in other words uh only matter differentiates a species so uh, for instance rabbits you know you could say uh 
you have ra you have such a thing as the essence of a rabbit, but that that rabbit the essence of rabbit is multiplied through matter, and goodness right. knows rabbits multiply rather quickly. So in other words, you have you have the notion or the the essence rabbit, and then you have many rabbits underneath that are are sharing that essence because we're physical and we can reproduce. Matter is the principle of differentiation. That's what I'm right to say. of 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 distinct individuals within a species. Yes, yes. So, so a, a physical species can reproduce itself and hence you can have many of, of these individuals in a species. Same essence or same nature, but multiplied yeah. right. for reproduction. Right. So since you're saying, so since angels are pure spirit and they're not physical, obviously they don't reproduce. So when you create an angel, that's all you have for that species, that one individual, yes? Yes, yes. So each angel, right, um, is its own species, it's its own specific difference. Right. So, so generically, we call them angels because the word angel means messenger? That's right. Uh, the, okay. It means messenger. Messenger of God. So they, uh, generically, they are spiritual persons because they have intellect and will without bodies. That's what they have in common. Uh, but, but in, 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 in their essence, they each have a, uh, a species unto themselves. For, for people listening, perhaps an analogy would be if God created one rabbit, one antelope, one elephant, one human, one oak tree, etc. All of these species of plants and animals that we see on this earth, if God only created one, that's what it's like for an angel. An angel has its own essence, yet there are many of them. Yes? Yes, yes, many ain't, yeah, it is, it is a fascinating thing, you have the same, you know, it's a, it goes way back to Aristotle, the idea of g the genera or the genus, and yeah. then the specific difference in that genus, right. so you have the genus of uh, rodent, yeah. and uh, rabbits are one specific difference or a species of rodent, right. and you have rats, and you have <laughs> mouse, and, yeah, right, right, you have various kinds, with angels, you have the genera, but each angel is a specific difference all by himself, you know, and it, right. not multiplied. Absolutely fascinating. I it love that. It is very fascinating. Yeah. yeah. All right. Why did angels rebel? Okay. The one, the answer given by some of the saints, I mean, uh, the traditional answer you could say, it has to do with the book of Isaiah uh, and the, uh, the king of Tyre, I think. But at any rate, the answer in the book of Isaiah, and it's applied to the devil with the, the famous words, non serviam, you know, I will not serve, I will put, I will not, uh, I will put my throne, I will go up to the most high I, and put my throne at the level of the most high. So they're famous words from Isaiah applied to Lucifer, I think correctly. And what the saints interpreted this to mean was this, at least St. Maximilian Kolbe said this, that, that God re revealed to the angels uh, his plan to become one of us. The whole thing is very mysterious. Mm. It's a, this is kind of a Franciscan answer, by the way, because St. Maximilian Kolbe was a Franciscan. Okay. There's a Franciscan answer and there's a Dominican answer to these things. The, by the way, just, just to stop you for one second, the Franciscans believed that generally speaking, that uh, God would have become man even if man didn't sin. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Uh, it's a very beautiful, lovely thing to say. Mysterious. Uh, but Dominic at any rate, Dominicans didn't think so. They, well, they, 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 they said, we don't know that. Yeah. That's yeah. really what their answer to that. Okay. But 
so according to Maximilian Colby, say Maximilian Colby, who uh, he said that the God revealed this plan of becoming one of us to the angels, um, and then that Satan was appalled somehow. He was it bothered him uh, that uh, the the God would become not a seraphim because they say that the devil was of the highest sort of angel called the seraphim, the burning ones. Okay. Not become not become a seraphim, but become a lowly, slimy, you might say, human being. Beyond the devil, um, yeah, it really bothered him to serve the one born of woman who would be God, and and so what Maximilian Kolbe said, of course, his non-serviam was was in that direction. But then that when he saw Eve in the garden, he thought that that was the woman. Mm. Okay. And so he went after her. I gotcha. So that's that's the uh, that's uh, one school of thought that he went after the woman uh, who was Eve, and he thought he had a victory, but obviously he didn't. Yeah, it might explain why he went to the woman first. I mean, you, you could look at other anthropological reasons or things like that. Right. But one possibility is why did he go to the woman first and not the man who was created first? You can say well, he's going through the woman to the man. Well, yeah, that's possible. But it's also this thought that he was looking for the woman. Hmm. And that that is a constant theme throughout scripture. You know, Genesis 3.15. Right, right. God, you know, the proto-evangelium, uh, you know, enmity, enmity between you and the woman. And it, keeps, it gets repeated constantly, even to the book of Revelation. The woman. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's, it's something to consider. Yeah, it is. Um, so you mentioned Satan, who was Lucifer, which means light. Um, he, after rejecting God, he became the adversary of God and mankind. And that's what the word Satan means, right? Adversary? Uh, yes. Satan can be adversary or it can mean an uh, accuser. Accuser. Okay. Adversary, accuser. Um, how do we know that a third of all the angels rejected God? How do we, uh, that seems to be the common, uh, the, the common belief of, of most Catholics. How do we know that? A book, Revelation, uh, chapter okay. 12, uh, speaks about that, you know, that this dragon, there's no, there's no doubt that the dragon and the Revelation and the serpent and Genesis are the same. Yeah. Um, the, the, so the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars from the sky has always been interpreted to be a reference to that fact, that a third of the angels, whatever that means, yeah. you know what that number signifies, how many that is, but a third of them lost their place. Um, they lost their place in heaven. Now, here's another distinction that I think it would be nice to make. Um, you know, there's a tradition that the angels were swept down to the earth and, and you know, they prowl about the world seeking the ruin of, of human souls, but they're also in hell. So just to make this very simplistic, are demons, who, the angels that rejected God, which are demons, are they now in hell or are they on earth roaming to, to try to destroy humans or both? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, Paul, that I would, I would suppose it to be both. I mean, it's a good yeah. question. Do they leave hell? <laughs> do they get a break? I mean, uh, that's a good question. I mean, they're damned yeah. no matter what they do. And right. so when they come, but there's no, there has to be some sort of a spatial question. So, I mean, they, they do seem to be here on earth because we see it in the gospels. These possessed pit men, for example, the one for rent, the, well, various ones, right? In the synagogue, yeah. one with all the pigs, no doubt clearly possessed by these demons or inhabiting them. And the demons even begging not to be told to go. 
which is always very fascinating. They don't want to go, the demons. They don't want to go where? It would seem, well, they don't want to be cast out of, for instance, the man uh, All right. in, with the 5,000 pigs, uh, the Gerasene demoniac. They don't want to be cast out. And uh, they seem to be somehow better off in, their, in this man than they would be outside of this man. Uh, well, they say that's, and you know, probably a lot better than I do because you have a brother that's an exorcist priest. But they say that sometimes, you know, it takes many uh, uh, episodes of praying over people in order to release demons. Yes, that's right. They, yeah. they don't want to leave. So yeah. my point there is that there, there is some sense where, yes, they're in hell, and yet they're also on this earth, and they seem to want to, well, they want to bring us a damnation. Mm. You know, misery loves company. Yes. They want to bring us with them to that terrible state. And so they're... Um, how they do that is uh, traditionally there are three levels of demonic activity with regard to their, you know, um, influencing us. The first one is temptation. Yes. Yeah. Temptation. I mean, uh, the devil does tempt us. I mean, one could say temptation comes from the world, the flesh and the devil. Right. But one would have to say that the devil is behind temptation because Temptation is always based, it seems to me, on a lie. Mm. It's always about a lie at the heart of it. And the devil is a liar from the beginning. And so every temptation, you could say, you can sense the forked tongue of the serpent coming at you with mm. his lying. Uh, he's lying to us about always it's a lie. The temptation, for instance, to whatever it might be, infidelity, alcohol, you know, getting drunk, uh, cheating, lying. I mean, he's certainly lying to say to us something like this, what you're looking for, you will find, and I will give it to you. you know, the, the same lie they told our first parents is endlessly repeated, and we keep falling for it. Yeah, and, and very often we see in our limited sight things as apparent goods, but in the bigger picture, of course, they're, they're bad for us. And once, you know, once the world or the flesh starts getting us going the devil is right there to pounce isn't he well it's more than that he's behind these structures of sin you could say i mean he's behind this worldliness you know fathering it so to speak yeah were there uh, so in other words he um he fathers it but he also was the instigator of it and this yes. goes back to the story of the garden of eden yes. With, without his instigation uh we may not have fallen as a species that would that's Yes, through the envy of the devil, death entered the world. The Book of Wisdom tells us. So, without it, yes, his that instigation. I don't see how the fall have taken place. He, we were instigated by him. That's another good reason why the devil's fall is unforgivable, and ours is so forgivable. Mm. Why? Because because we, we were seduced by we were seduced a, a higher free will's creature, and they were not. We were perversely seduced on purpose. Right. Right. And he was not. Hmm. Um, so then those human beings that reject God in this life and they die unrepentantly, um, they exist for all eternity with these demons in the same realm, if you will, of these devils. Yes. God forbid. Uh, but it's the truth. If we die in unrepented mortal sin, we will be lost forever. But it should be stated, of course, that, uh, what, 
that God doesn't desire this. We right. all know that, but it's still good to say it again. It's always good to say that. It, yeah. God has no desire for this. In fact, nothing causes him more, you know, more, nothing's more horrible. Not even one human soul that doesn't want anyone damned and he would do anything. In fact, he did anything gave right. his, you know, and he would do it again, but he, he would do anything to save one human soul because he has infinite kindness. But the t- difficulty is that the, the mystery of freedom is yep. we, get, we get into the mystery of freedom that love is free and it has to be so or would no longer be love if it's not chosen. Right. So the Lord has to respect our freedom in or, because we're in his image and likeness. He must respect us. You know, funny, a lot of people say, well, why did God you know, create us free if he knew that we were going to fall? You have to create us free in order to have a real relationship with us because God is personal. And if you're not, if you don't create us as persons, then we don't have free will. Could have created robots or just simply animals, but he wanted that personal relationship with us. And hence that personal relationship has to freely say yes, right? To God, who is the, the great proposer, God proposes and we respond. All we had to do is say yes with our lives and our will. Well, yes, I mean, ultimately it comes down to that, to this, to the word yes. I mean, it's a mysterious thing, but it, uh, it comes down to the word yes and the word no. And most of us through our lives, you know, we, we kind of, uh, we don't say a perfect yes. God forbid anyone should say a perfect no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, like you said, though, the angels uh, who became demons. They did per- say a perfect, perfect no. Perfect no, yes. Yeah. But God forbid anyone else should. Yes. And... You know, so I like what Pope Benedict said in his encyclical on hope, which okay. is always worth reading and rereading a hundred times. How many? Uh, uh, oh, maybe five. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> space salve. Five hundred. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's incredible encyclical uh, about hope. Everyone should read it. Okay. Uh, I say without exception because it's, it's it's one of the greatest. It's just an astounding document. What Benedict it- says very thoughtfully is this. He's referring to the words yes and no. Okay. And that he says few of few people at the end of life have said a perfect yes to God. I think it's a very honest thing to say, you know, that few of us have said a perfect yes. Uh, there are some who have. Now, when, 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 he's, when he says that, is he talking about on our deathbed or is he talking about throughout our lives, our, our cumulative yes or no? Which one well, the, I would say it's both because on our deathbeds, our cumulative effect, it has some effect on us. In other words, we're damaged goods in some way, in some way. So when we leave this life, yeah. are, are we ourselves a perfect yes when we leave this life to God? Or are mm. we a little bit selfish still? Mm. And yeah. I would say the answer is yes. That we're very usually a bit selfish squirrel. Most of us, we're not ready for heaven. That's just, the, that's just the way it is. This is why, you know, priests said, it's generally, you know, I'm going to say yeah. what, what, what the Pope says, um, that most people go to purgatory. <laughs> yeah, so, so nothing imperfect, nothing imperfect can enter heaven because this, God... This is a whole other question. I know that. However, but he says, however, he also says this, we may suppose that few people, not too many, hopefully, please God, close the door to God in an absolute sense. We hope that it's few people who do this horrible thing, but that they, but many, many, many people are damaged goods. In mm-hmm. other words, uh, purgatory has many levels. 
Okay. In other words, those who are almost ready for heaven because their yes was 90% complete, if not more. And yeah. it's obvious in their character. Mother Teresa, for example? Mother Teresa. I have a feeling uh, it applies to her. I know it does. Yeah. And But how many of us are of that quality? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're just not quite there, you know. But I we're trying. You. But we're trying. And, and, and so purgatory is a tremendous doctrine of the church. Tremendous. Mm. And, and doctrine and, and so necessary uh hell is for those please god it doesn't have the pope says we may suppose even that not too many make this terrible choice of the absolute forever decision to reject god and uh may that be the case but that's what we would hope for the uh the early church kind of had a different um sort of the opposite take on that they they took um you know, the, 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 the narrow path that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels and, and really thought that only a few uh, would enter heaven and the majority of humanity would enter hell. It seems like in modern times, the, that, that sort of attitude has flipped. And most people think most people go to heaven and only a relative few go to hell. And I think in the secular world, you have this notion that everybody goes to heaven regardless of what they do. So the sort of the spectrum has been all over the place when it comes to that, hasn't it? It has been. But I think that Pope Benedict's answer is very important. Uh, what he speaks about is purgatory. And no one talks about that. That most people probably go to purgatory. And I have a feeling that I, that is my hope. Let's put it that way. That is my yeah. hope. Please, hope. God, that mm. no, we don't want anyone to be lost. It's unimaginably horrible. Unimaginably horrible. Really quick. Um, the horror is both uh, spiritual and physical. That's right. And, and, and so you know, the, the pain of loss as, and, and the pain of sense, uh, something quite, quite unimaginably horrible. I mean, the pain of loss itself, meaning the loss of all that's worth living for, the loss of God himself. C.S. Lewis describes this rather well in mm. his book, The Great Divorce, uh, which okay. is it, it, a, a really good contemplation of this very topic. Yeah. And he talks about hell and about, <laughs> he actually names somebody. <laughs> I don't know if he's right about that. Someone I know from history, but this person's in a, supposedly in a house. The, in the, he says in hell, basically the people are accelerating away from each other at light speed forever. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Forever more and more lonely. The opposite of unity, the opposite of love. Yeah. The, abs the opposite of communion. Right. Yeah. Um, in infinite. Yeah. They want a, they want isolation to the extreme, you know, mm -hmm. never ending the end and more and more of it as time goes as, as it goes on. So they're isolated from each other, but most importantly, of course, they're isolated from the source of all life, joy, happiness, which is God forever without hope. Yes. Yes. You know, as it says in mm -hmm. Dante's Inferno, yeah. Uh, you know, at the entrance to hell, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Right. Uh, so please, God, that doesn't happen too often. You know, part, part of the uh, world of uh, the all things visible and invisible, part of the invisible world also is that um, constitutive part of ourselves, which is spiritual, that we call a soul, uh, which is disembodied at the moment of death. Um, and um, want to say a little bit about... Uh, the spiritual soul and its um, experience, uh, the moments after death and what it goes through as a disembodied soul. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, death, of course, is defined as separation of the soul from the body. Right. And um, what the church has always taught in a, is a beautiful, important document called Benedictus Deus, 
by Pope Boniface VIII, I think it is, when he describes this, at the moment of death, is the soul is immediately judged. Now, I must say, those are frightening words. You know, they're, they're good words, but they're, they should make us sit up and think. And people don't think about this sufficiently. As you said, in the modern world, everyone thinks they're going to heaven. Right. Uh, and uh, they, they never consider the fact of the four last things. Yes. And the four last things, as you know, need to be considered fervently. And, uh, you know, and, and it will, even though it may be challenging. Continuously. Uh, every, every day they should be in our mind. Yes. Which is death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Right. These need to be considered. And I, what, 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 what concerns me a little bit, people do not consider judgment. And it should be considered a lot. Because at the moment of death, uh, well, Pope John Twenty-Third had a nice little ditty, little poem. You ever heard okay. this poem? I don't think so. He said, death than which nothing is more certain. Judgment than which nothing is more strict. Hell, than which nothing is more terrible. Heaven, than which nothing is more delightful. Moment of death comes the uh, the judgment. In other words, the uh, the personal judgment, the immediate uh, judgment, the particular judgment right. at the moment of death. Where, of course, you know, and this is. By the way, we should think about this also. I would say lovingly, even though it's a challenge to us. Okay. Yeah. That infinite love and truth. He's, he's looking at me. <laughs> Infinite love and truth is looking at me now. But then, and, and at that judgment, uh, he's going, in other words, we want to be sincere with ourselves and not, you know, even now. So that I, when, we, when the judgment does come, I am totally ready in the face of God to face that judgment, right? Yes. yes. And somebody uh, wants, oh, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, we, we always should be prepared for death. At least we prepared always for death. try to be that in that state. And once one could add this, what the catechism says is that confession anticipates the judgment in a good way. So going to confession, you know, remember that in confession, the priest makes a judgment. Yeah. And that is related to the final judgment. And, but that judgment the priest makes in confession is a, what a wonderful judgment. He has to make a judgment. Yes. But the judgment is, is so beautiful. And I mean, he has to make a judgment whether or not this person actually is sorry for their sins in some way. Right. He has to make some judgment. And if the person said, I don't want to go into all this now with you, it's not the subject. But I just want to say that going to confession is very beautiful and important and yeah. has a lot to do with the final judgment. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's everything. If you're, what gets in the way of the fullness of God in our lives is sin. And, uh, what cleanses us of that is Christ through the sacrament of confession. So what could be more important than that? Yes. If you go to confession regularly and, and you're going to be so blessed the yeah. final, you know, because uh, the judgment is in a certain sense, you're doing away with the final judgment almost, so to speak. Yeah. In other words, you're already facing it and over and God's mercy is overcoming it while there's time. So in a nutshell, where the, the, when the spirits or the soul separates from the body uh, faces God the individual disembodied soul will know his eternal destiny at that point. We won't talk instantaneously. about instantaneously. Instantaneously. Now we there's another judgment that we'll talk about later on in the creed, with regard to the resurrection of the body, and the general judgment when Christ comes back again. But we'll talk about that in length when we get there. Um, so heaven. 
this will be our last um, our last question or our last topic. Uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the wonders that God has in store for those who love Him. Want to want to comment on what heaven is like? <laughs> Well, from my limited perspective, but uh, yes. Um, well, yeah, exactly. Since, since I has not seen and, and nor has the man's imagination, uh, boy, there's a lot to say there, Paul. I mean, it's uh, St. Saint Augustine would say, whatever wonderful thing you can think of, you have to say it's not that, it's beyond that. Yes. Uh, you can't imagine this infinite joy, this, this infinite happiness. So it's, it's really the ultimate fulfill, uh, fulfillment of the human person, the end uh, for which we were made. Union, full union with God without anything getting in the way. Well, it's what every man and every person was made for. Right. Because, you know, if you ask anyone, do you, what do you want? Do you want to be happy? And how happy do you want to be? You can ask anyone on the street this question. Yeah. How happy do you want to be? And you can say, do you think the word infinite applies to your desire for happiness or something? And they would say, yes, that's exactly what I want. You do. How did I know that? Without, with, I never even met you before. Yeah. Uh, we all have the same desire for infinite happiness. Unending happiness. Unending joy. Infinite and that never ends. So imagine this, this, is, the, this is what heaven is. It, it, was, it is precisely that in seeing God face to face, eternal, a joy we cannot even grasp. It's so mm. astounding. In fact, this life considers in getting ourselves ready to encounter that kind of happiness, which it sounds funny, but it's the truth. And it's not only going to be happiness in the fullness of the presence of God, but in the fullness of the presence of, of the saints. And just to, just to bring back what we were talking about earlier, of the angels. The angels will be citizens of heaven. They are citizens of heaven now. What I was saying was our life here on earth is really, in a sense, uh, getting ready for this infinite joy, which we, mm. it's so astounding. You've really got to be ready for such joy. Yeah, you have to be prepared, right? It's, it's so astounding. Yeah. And as you were saying, with our, with our God, yes, and at the same time, union with all of our brothers and sisters in heaven. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to, uh, again, we're not going to uh, remain for all eternity with just a soul. Uh, we are we are body soul composites, but we'll get to that later after the resurrection. Right. Um, so, so heaven is God, obviously, and uh, in union with God are his angels and his saints, and it's unending joy, unending happiness without any suffering, without any death, without any pain, and all of that. So, in this, all that is seen and unseen, this seems to be its very end and purpose to be in union with God. On that note, do you have any final thoughts or words with regard to our topic tonight? And I'll give you the last word. Okay, I think one good thing to remember, uh, the catechism tells us, it has to do with one of the, count, early count, one of the councils, said that God made the spiritual and material creation at the same time, similar, yeah. at the same moment. Right. And then only afterwards, the word is diende, that he made the human person who is a certain, in a certain sense, a combination of both worlds. Yes. That's a lovely truth. Spiritual so, and physical, heaven and earth. Yes. Yes. We're, we're a combination of those realities. I think it's a really a beautiful thing to consider. You know? We really bridge uh, heaven and earth because we're part animal and we're spiritual, like, like yes. the angels. Yeah. Yes. Very so the, good. So the angelic creation is important for us, too, from that point of view, to, because they are 
they remind us of, of who we are to some extent. Some extent. We're, and you know, we, of course, it's important to continue a relationship with the angels while we're here on earth, including our guardian angel. Yes? Oh, yes. And yes, we should do this and we don't do it sufficiently. Yeah. And that's why I said they're the most neglected members of the community of saints. Agreed. Including, including our guardian angel. And as you know, certain holy men and women, Padre Pio is a good example. And also, though, I should say, St. Jose Maria Escriva had okay. a, a tremendous relationship with their guardian angel. And uh, it was really a lovely thing. Escriva had, had a beautiful friendship with his guardian angel. In fact, he, so a, a mob tried to kill him on this, in Madrid on the steps of some government building during the Spanish Civil War. Oh, yeah? One of the worst times in, in church history was the Spanish Civil War. And they tried to kill him. And, well, here's what happened. In, in his diary, he used to refer to himself as Mangy Donkey. Okay. That was, his, that was his personal nickname for himself, to give himself humility. He okay. referred to himself as Mangy Donkey. That was his nickname. And it, only in his diary, of course. But when these men were going to kill him, yeah. they killed thousands of priests and nuns. Um, suddenly, out of nowhere, this youth showed up, giant man. It was a young man, though, blonde-haired, I think. But he showed up out of nowhere and chased these men off. And as he was running away, he turned around and yelled out, mangy donkey, mangy donkey. <laughs> and he was gone. All right. Uh, so that was his guardian angel. He, took, he, he, understood, he uh. understood that to be his guardian angel who had come to assist him. Okay, gotcha. But it's happened to many. It's yeah. happened to, to, of course, the saints had this, this experience. Padre Pio, in a special way, had that relationship. Very cool. Yeah, we've we've got to we've got to take we've got to um, uh, wrap it up now. But thank you, uh, Father Anthony Blunt, for for being with us today on Beneath the Surface. Uh, great conversation. I hope to have you back soon. Thank you, Paul. It's nice being with you. All right, Father Anthony Blunt, Paul Morano, you're listening to Beneath the Surface, and we will be back for another installment next week. Have a great week, everybody. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.